Hello and welcome back to episode 37 of the Game Biz Podcast. I am your host, Poe. Yes, I'm back like after a really long time. But you know, I was um, I was just waiting for the right moment, you see. The perfect moment because I knew, I knew that if I waited long enough, there will be big news. And definitely not because I got lazy. Anyways, um, I was right because we did get really big news, which I'm going to be talking about right now, which is also the first news item. So on November 16th, Wall Street Journal reported a bombshell story on Bobby Kodak, the CEO of Activision Blizzard. And you know, remember how people were saying that Bobby Kodak probably didn't know much about uh, what, were, what went on in Blizzard because, you know, they have a history of letting their subsidiary companies operate independently. Well, um, that was a bunch of BS. They say that the, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, which, you know, I guess still rings very true. And Bobby Kodak is the top rotten apple of that said tree. Everything is rotten, really. Anyways, so uh, the Wall Street Journal published a new report on Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kodak containing numerous accounts of his actions in regards to sexual harassment allegations at the publisher and several allegations against the executive himself. For example, the paper reports that the that a woman who worked at Treyarch accused co-head Dan Bunting of sexually harassing her in 2017. The company investigated the matter two years later. The paper was told, and when it did, the HR department and supervisors determined he should be fired, but Kodak overruled that decision in favor of counseling. Bunting left the company after the Wall Street Journal inquired about the allegations it said. In another case, Blizzard Technology Chief Ben Kilgore was reportedly fired after repeated sexually uh, repeated allegations of sexual harassment and lying about a relationship with a, a junior employee. Despite the company finding the behavior worthy of termination, a former Blizzard head Mike Marheim sent an internal memo praising the departing of Kilgore for his contributions to the company. A pair of other sexual misconduct allegations at Sledgehammer were also recounted. In one, an employee alleged that her supervisor had raped her on two occasions after he pressured her to drink alcohol at work events. The employee's lawyer said she reported the incidents at Sledgehammer's HR department and supervisors, but nothing happened until she obtained legal assistance and threatened to sue. That led to an all-out, out-of-court settlement and the supervisor's termination. The second sledgehammer incident involved harassment at an office party where alcohol was again involved, and the accused employee told the paper he was given a two-week paid leave and transferred to a different position within Activision. He would later be fired after an argument with his manager over his green card. A representative with Activision Blizzard told the paper that the company intends to ban alcohol in the workplace soon, Kodak told the paper such incidents were exceptions rather than reflective of the entire company and said he would be putting more time into these issues. Quote, if there are experiences people have in workplace that make them uncomfortable, we're much more adept at being able to respond to those, Kodak said. Uh, Kodak himself was the subject of two specific stories in the article. In 2006, an assistant of his said he threatened to have her killed in a voicemail. That was settled out of court, people familiar with the matter said. An Activision representative told the paper, quote, Mr. Kodak quickly apologized 16 years ago for the obviously hyperbolic and inappropriate voicemail. 
and he deeply regrets the exaggeration and tone in his voicemail to this day. End quote. The next year, he was sued by a flight attendant on a private jet he co-owned, who claimed Kodik fired her after she complained that the pilot had sexually harassed her. That was settled in arbitration with a $200,000 payment to the flight attendant. After the California DFEH lawsuit was filed, Kodik encouraged employees who experienced harassment or discrimination at the company to report them to uh, Wilmer Hale, the law firm it commissioned to review its policies and procedures. The Wall Street Journal was told uh, the publisher had has received more than 500 reports from current and former employees covering sexual harassment, pay disparities, bullying, and more. The paper also points to the recent resignation of Blizzard's Jen O'Neill, who served in that position briefly after being named co-head of the division when J. Allen Brack resigned in the wake of the California lawsuit. So basically, a month after her appointment, O'Neill sent an email to uh, one of the Activision's legal team, doubting that the current leadership could fix its cultural problems, saying, quote, It was clear that the company would never prioritize our people the right way. End quote. He, her email said that she has been sexually harassed while at the publisher, that she was being paid less than the, main, than the man chosen to co-lead Blizzard with her, Mike Yarbra, uh, Yabara and that she has been, quote, tokenized, marginalized, and discriminated against, end quote. Now, beyond the individual stories, the Wall Street Journal reports that Kodik knew of these allegations and settlements, but did not inform the company's board of directors about them. And after the DFEH lawsuit told others at the company he hadn't been aware of them. Uh, the question of disclosure is a part of the of the um, investigation in Blizzard, Activision Blizzard by the Securities and Exchange Commission (SEC). Uh, the regulator has subpoenaed a variety of documents related to the company's response to misconduct, harass, uh, sexual uh, harassment allegations, including Codex communication with other executives. An Activision Blizzard representative responded to the story, saying, "Quote: We are disappointed in the Wall Street Journal's report." which presents an inaccurate and misleading view of Activision Blizzard and our CEO. Instances of sexual misconduct that were brought to his attention were acted upon. The Wall Street Journal ignores important changes underway to make this the industry's most welcoming and inclusive uh, workplace, and it fails to account for efforts of thousands of employees who work very hard each day, every day, to live up to their and our values. The constant desire to be better has always set this company apart, which is why at Mr. Kodik's direction, we have made significant improvements, including a zero-tolerance part policy for inappropriate conduct, and this is why we are moving forward with unworthy focus, blah, 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 a bunch of BS. Um, yeah, so, uh, yes, uh, that's basically what the uh, Wall Street Journal reported on, um, but there's more, of course. Uh, there's actually a bunch of updates and responses on the same day, next day, and day after, and but not just Activision Blizzard, but uh, why don't we start with uh, Activision Blizzard there? Yeah, so pretty much right after the report came out, Activision Blizzard employees say that they were launching a walkout, and they're going to be doing that and demanding that Kodak be replaced. Then following this, Jason Schreier at Bloomberg shared that uh, Bobby Kodak is actually doubling down, and in a video to his employees that morning, 
uh, he attacked the Wall Street Journal article and defended Activision. Quote, anyone who doubts my conviction to be the most welcoming and inclusive workplace doesn't really appreciate how important this is to me. End quote. And uh, I guess the company's board directors uh, agreed to back him up on that. He got them stringing along, you know, old old bunch of uh, buddies and pals. Anyways, Activision Blizzard's board director released a statement affirming its support for CEO Bobby Kotick after the employee group, ABK Workers Alliance, called for his removal, uh, which is uh, what I just was saying, saying just now about the uh, walkout. Uh, I'm not gonna be bother. I'm not gonna bother reading about the BS rhetoric they spelt, you know, because it was basically just what the Activision Blizzard representative was saying. Bunch of BS, you know. You know those lines where people put out when they feel that they're backed into a corner, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So that all happened on the same day, which is November sixteenth. Now on November seventeenth, Activision Blizzard shareholders uh call on CEO Bobby Cody to resign. And the board's two longer-serving directors, Brian Kelly and Robert Morigato, to retire by December 31st. Um, shareholders said in a letter that if Cody Kelly and Morigato don't step down, they will not vote for the re-election of the current directors on the boards that uh, at the next annual shareholders meeting in June. So it's actually very important that I give some uh, context to this, I feel. So basically, this group of shareholders, the SOC, is actually an activist shareholder group representing a very small amount of the company. They own rough. They own roughly uh, four point eight million shares, or you know, just about zero point six percent of Activision Blizzard. Uh, they have also been criticizing Kodak for a long time, and you know, this news wasn't a turning point for them whatsoever. But I do think it is rather smart of them, um, you know, to use this ammunition while it's hot and. Putting it out there right away and getting it into people's minds and other shareholders' minds, uh, for sure. But you definitely need to understand that the group themselves, right now, with the amount of shares they have at the moment and you know the amount of power they have, uh, they can't do much right now. In a follow-up from yesterday's news, uh, Jason Schreier shared that the employees across Blizzard, uh, Activision, Blizzard, and King. Um, which uh, they told Bloomberg that they were uh, underwhelmed by a series uh, of meetings held that day to address the ongoing crisis. Executives repeated talking points and defended Bobby Kotick as calls for his ousting grew louder. Each of Activision's three divisions had its own meetings, you know, some more than one, on November 17th to address the issues. Kotick didn't appear, but other executives repeatedly um, said similar talking points. You know, they said Kodak would work to quote unquote regain trust rather than resign, as employees have asked. Now onto the spicier news. So on November seventeenth, according to Bloomberg, who got a hold of this intel? PlayStation boss Jim Ryan slammed Activision Blizzard in that morning, writing in an email to staff that Activision quote has not done enough to address a deep-seated culture of discrimination. And harassment, we do not believe their statements or response proper, properly addressed the situation. And quote, Ryan said that PlayStation has reached out to Activision Blizzard shortly after yesterday's article, asking how they planned to address what was reported. And then the next day, Xbox's big boss Phil Spencer also chimed in. Again, Bloomberg somehow got a hold of this intel, 
Spencer had shared this with his staff that he and the leadership team were, quote, disturbed and deeply troubled by the horrific events and actions, end quote, at Blizzard, Activision Blizzard. Uh, Spencer stated in his email that, quote, this type of behavior has no place in our industry, end quote, and that he was, quote, evaluating all aspects of Xbox's relationship with Activision Blizzard and making ongoing proactive adjustments, end quote. IGN then reached out to Microsoft to confirm the accuracy of Bloomberg's intel, and, you know, they replied saying that is all true. So now, basically, we have employees, some shareholders, and uh, big publishing partners of Activision Blizzard, which is, you know, Sony, PlayStation, and Microsoft Xbox, all putting pressure on Bobby Kotick and, you know, trying to oust him of his company. Well, you know, granted, those messages from PlayStation and Xbox were internal. Uh, they were just uh, put out by Bloomberg. But it shows that they are indeed beginning to take action to do something about it, for sure. I think it goes to show that this is definitely not an issue that can be easily swept under the rug. That some in the, you know, board of directors seats and the big shareholders, big shareholders might be thinking. So uh, there you have it. Pretty much the complete story, at least for now, regarding this piece of news. Uh, let's take a quick break before getting into the topic of the week. Yeah, that's right. Uh, there's only one news to report this week. Well, actually, there's actually other news I felt I could report, but you know, this one was large enough that I think it just deserved its own spotlight. Um, I'm not lazy. Trust me, I'm not lazy. Please trust me, I'm not lazy. To begin, um, I want to say that uh, this was something I want to discuss last week, actually. And originally, I wrote this one as a news item. But since I had the Bobby Codex news as the dominant singular news item for this week's podcast, again, I'm not lazy. I just decided that, you know, why don't I just make this topic of the week? And uh, I actually like that this is a topic of the week now because it's kind of a cool thing. Uh, so moving on. So on uh, November 4th of 2021, of course, Devolver Digital has officially gone public. That's right. Now, I will say that uh, Devolver Digital is a publisher that I'm personally very fond of. I may not play or even care about every game the publisher puts out, but I can definitely see their style and philosophy in the games they believe and support enough to be publishing it. I do also enjoy their E3 showcases, or I guess not E3 exactly, but adjacent to the E3 showcase every year. I guess now, um, you know, they will have to start taking jabs at themselves now that they're, you know, pretty much a billion dollar valued corporations themselves. Funny, you know, how the saying goes, uh, you know, the one that says, if you don't die as a hero, you'll see yourself turn to the villain. But, uh, you know, I don't actually see them as a villain, villain, by the way. I still like them, but certainly this has uh, changed things and uh, it's kind of all in perspective, I guess. I'm going to explain more later. So the company started in 2009, which was definitely an early enough time, right around after, you know, the indie scene started picking up due to the effect of Xbox Live Arcade. And yes, I know that technically details of indies, uh, you know, started much earlier and you can argue as early as uh, gaming on PC started, but I'm trying to describe the point in time when indies, in quotes, started to become its own branch um, of the olive tree besides requiring big publishers. And I think that was at the age around the kickoff of, you know, Xbox Live Arcade. I wasn't gaming back then, 
but I I believe people point towards around like 2008 as being memorable for you know the kickstarting the new generation of indies with games like Braid, Castle Crushers, and later on Limbo in 2010. So I'm that's why I'm saying around that era. So yeah, back to Devolver, they pretty much started right at the beginning of this new revolution for the indie scene. Devolver provided another avenue for indies, which at that point was still, you know, just get big publisher contracts, basically limited or they could go at um, go that go at solo alone, which would be the riskiest option, or you know, they could go with Devolver, representing what seems like a pretty good medium ground. You know, they have money, influence, and the knowledge of ways around publishing world, but also had this kind of cool, edgy boutique feel that was definitely distinct from the big publisher crowd. In the company statement, they said that the uh, employees of Devolver Digital are still the majority owners in the company, which is the most important thing to note first. That means they have absolute control in the direction of the company as long as enough employees agree. Um, but going public means that they're going to be sharing profits or losses with those interested in investing in their company's future. In that same statement, Devolver also announced that they have acquired uh, development studios, Crow Team, which is Sirius Sam, Talos Principal, Dodge Roll, um, who makes uh, Enter the Gungeon, Exit the Gungeon, Nero, who makes Rain and Card Shark, and, Fi- and Firefly Studio, who makes Stronghold Series. The reason was that they have been partnering with these studios have been partnering with Devolver for a long ass time, and I guess the, you know the timing was right to put the wedding ring on, which makes sense if uh, they want to inflate their valuation prices. Rationally speaking, this was a this was a very good move on their part. I trust them enough to know that they probably won't fuck up things for these studios. I even found it endearing, kind of, that they uh, mentioned that there is no specific plans for Enter the Gungeon two. But rest assured, they have been asked from them more than once. On to the actual news articles about the company going public. This was from James Batcher on GamesIndustry.biz. Devolver Digital has begun trading on AIM, a sub-market London stock exchange, in a flotation that values the indie publisher that at close to $1 billion, Devolver has raised $261 million around its admission to AIM valuing the company at $950 million. This makes it the largest ever US-based company by market capitalization to be admitted to the London Stock Exchange and the second largest company ever to trade on AIM. According to Field Fisher, the European law firm that advised Devolver, the publisher has received, quote, significant strategy investment from a key industry player, end quote, plus support from US institutional investors. GamesIndustry.biz also learned that Sony Interactive Entertainment will be making a 5% investment in the company. The flotation provides Devolver Digital with $50 million in gross proceeds that will be put towards the company's expansion plans. It also included a secondary cash placing of $211 million for management and existing investors, including NetEase, which retains an investment in the company. Founded in 2009, Devolver Digital is best known for bringing indie games such as Hotline Miami, Loop Hero, and the Shadow Warrior series to market. It's headquartered in Austin, Texas, and London, UK, with studios 
and around 200 staff across Europe, North America, and Asia. And I guess, you know, before closing this topic, I want to point out that this is what people would normally agree to call an indie publishing company, but if you just take a look at its valuation right now, which is actually what they are valued at, since investors are actually giving it that value to them, then I can tell you that is no indie publisher. Um, because what kind of indie publisher is worth a billion dollars, right? I or guess, you know, the proper phrasing is that this isn't what the term indie means or what it used to mean, I guess. Like, so perhaps it's finally time I, to just acknowledge that the meaning of indies has gone to a point of never return now. I, I feel like indies are like a way of saying this game looks a certain way, maybe it has just more pixelated art style, you know, less graphical fidelity, or maybe they have less than 100 developers working on it, or, you know, they have less budget than $100 million being spent. Not or, you know, not spearheaded by a world-renowned AAA publisher, or, you know, all of the above. But I think this is a signal. A signal that the indie market is maturing and has a solidified place in the overall video game landscape. It has carved out its mark, and Devolver Digital is but the beginning of it, really. Soon, in the future, more indie publishers will step out in a big way like Devolver, going public, or, you know, they could be doing some private investment stuff, uh, or something like that, or something else. Anyways, I'm I'm personally eyeing out uh, Annapurna Interactive right now, which, you know, they began in 2016, so we shall see in a couple more years, will they catch up to what Devolver is now? I think this consolidation of indie indies grouping up together means more competition for the AAA big publishers who have pretty much always enjoyed their position in the industry and have tried themselves to become the shelter for indies, but in a poorer way. So what I mean is like, see how Xbox Live Arcade was shut down in 2010, PlayStation 4's beginning era started off good for the indies, but then they also faded that away years later when their own AAA team started delivering games. Again, it's like, it's, it's all cycles now, because now we have Game Pass on Xbox delivering constant indie titles to the service. PlayStation, although still not as enthusiastic as it was in the beginning of the PS4 era with indies, did assign Shuhei Yoshida as the head of PlayStation's independent development, and they have been giving indies more exposure through, you know, blog posts and state of play, um, which I hope they can one day just give it, like, a big proper indie uh, dedicated uh, announcement showcase type thing. I don't know. That would be cool though. But yeah, I don't think all this can be achieved for indies if Devolver didn't do what they do and achieve what they have achieved, I suppose. It's a, it's a big deal. Yeah, and that's it. And with that said, I'll end it here today. Thank you all for listening. If you wish to follow me, you can find me at GameBizPod on Twitter. Tune in next week or some other time for another one and i'll see you later bye